Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, June 11th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Dan. Well, hey, everybody. <laughs> okay, yeah. Good to see you, whether you're here in the live service, if you're in our uh, community service over in the chapel today, or if you're coming to us online. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We are continuing on in our walk through the book of Acts. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and turn there, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. Ushers are coming down the aisle, they'll be glad to give you one. If you don't presently own a Bible, please consider that a gift from us to you. Now, if you were here last week when Lizzie preached from Acts chapter 10, which, by the way, was an excellent sermon. If you haven't had a chance to hear it, I'd encourage you to go back online and give it a listen. If you were here last week, you're going to notice that Acts chapter 11 is remarkably similar to Acts chapter 10. and In, in fact, in, in some respects, it's, it's almost a verbatim repeat. And that's significant because there is a, a fundamental principle of biblical interpretation regarding repetition. When it, whenever we see something more than once in the Bible, that's a clue from God that He really wants us to pay attention to that particular concept, idea, notion. And if the Holy Spirit goes to the trouble to repeat an entire chapter sequentially, that is a big sign. I have got something significant here for you to pay attention to. So, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this day and the opportunity that we have to be in your house to lift up the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray now that as we turn our attention to your written word, your Holy Spirit would come to be our teacher just as you promised and to guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you walk with God long enough, one day he is going to ask you to do something you really do not want to do. He's going to ask you to do something hard, something challenging and difficult. And, And here's a little tip. It probably won't be fun. You see, there are things that God wants to accomplish in this world in the hearts of men and women, and He uses those of us who follow Him to bring those things about, to bring the message And if you walk with him long enough, he's going to call upon you to do something that goes against the grain of your normal way of operating. It may go against conventional wisdom. It may even bring about a great deal of criticism. Not fun, but I would contend it's almost an essential part of being a Christ follower. I I would even go so far as to say, to some degree, it is even indicative of our authenticity as being Christ followers. It demonstrates to the world that, yes, I am serious about my faith. This is what's going on in the life of Peter in this particular story. As Lizzie pointed out to us last week, Peter was a Jew's Jew. He had lived a life almost entirely in the context of Jewishness, born into a Jewish home, taught in Jewish schools, learning Jewish truths from the Old Testament, social acquaintances, friendships, everything revolved around Jewish life to the exclusion of interaction with Gentiles. In fact, that was considered one of the worst things you could do. You might do a little financial transaction with them now and again, but to have a friendship Or socialize with Gentiles? Absolutely not. Out of the question. And God appears to Peter and says, I want you to go home of a Gentile. And not just any Gentile, a Roman Gentile. Those that had conquered and oppressed the Jews. Those that the Jews despised. And he said to him, not only do I want you to go to his home, I want you to be a guest In his home. Not just stop by for a little, hey, how you doing? But no, you're actually going to stay there. And the really remarkable thing is, he did it. He broke every convention, every norm that he had been taught from childhood, and obeyed God and went and did what was probably the single most uncomfortable thing in his life up to that point. What I want us to consider this morning is how he did it. What can we learn from Peter's life 
that will equip and enable us to respond when God calls upon us to do the hard thing, when God calls upon us to do something that we really don't want to do. One of the first things that I notice about Peter is that in the context of this call that he received from God, he was already living a life of pursuing God. He was already engaged with God. He wasn't pursuing his own agenda. He wasn't neglecting his relationship with God. He wasn't involved with a life of sin. No, he was living for God, pursuing God. In, in the chapters leading up to chapter 11, we see that Peter preached the gospel to hundreds, that he was even arrested and beaten and whipped for the sake of the gospel. No one could accuse Peter of being preoccupied with really anything other than serving and loving God. And it was into that circumstance, into that situation, that the call of God came to do something really, really difficult. That's the way God operates. God draws near to those who have drawn near to Him. Those who have shown faithfulness in the small things are given the opportunity to do great things for God. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking to yourselves, you know, I, I, I really can't recall a time that God asked me to do a difficult thing, a, a hard thing. I suggest maybe that's because God knows you wouldn't be willing to do it anyway. God has seen, no, you've already got an agenda. You're moving in your own direction. You're doing the things that you want to do. You're neglecting your relationship with God. Maybe you're showing up on Sundays and giving Him a tip of the hat, but in terms of an ongoing, meaningful relationship, that's off to the side because you've got more important things to do or perhaps you're even deeply involved in sin, habitual sin that has rendered you incapable of hearing God's voice and certainly incapable of responding to what he would call you to do. When I was a boy, my dad was a cabinet builder. And when I was about nine, ten years old, the day came that uh, I was able to go out and, and be his helper for the first official time on, on a job. I remember it was a bitterly cold day, and my father's uh, cabinet shop had no insulation, no heating system. There, a, a, a space heater about the size of this little speaker sufficed for the whole shop. And so as we began the work, my primary concern was staying warm. And so as he begins to construct this cabinet, I'm, I'm standing there off to the side with my hands in my pockets trying to stay warm. And after a few minutes, he looks up at me and he goes, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, exactly. Get your hands out of your pockets and get busy. I'm like, get, get, get busy with, with what? He finds something to do. Well, I fumbled around there for a few minutes and finally he said, Danny, come here. I'm gonna teach you something that will bless you the rest of your life. 
when I'm building something here, I don't want to have to ask you for a hammer. When it's time for me to use a hammer, I want it to be there. I want to, don't want to have to ask you for a wrench or a Phillips head screwdriver or the drill motor or anything else. I want you to be so focused on what I'm doing that you're already two steps ahead and you're taking the initiative to provide me with what I need to get the job done. One day you won't work with me or for me. You'll work for somebody else. And that's the kind of employee folks are looking for. Those that are engaged and focused with what is going on. Taking initiative. And that's the kind of follower God is looking for. That's the kind of person that God gives difficult, great things to do. Life-changing, even world-changing sorts of things to do. So I would ask you this morning to do an examination of your life. What, what are you paying attention to? Spiritually speaking, do you have your hands in your pockets and looking for squirrels? Or are you engaged with what God is doing so that when the call comes, you're right there and ready? Peter was already pursuing the things of God when the call came. Another thing I notice about his response is his eager obedience. His eager obedience. Yes, he had to have a moment of clarification. After all, this was a completely new concept. And he just wanted to be sure he was hearing it right. But when the call came and he understood, bam, he's after it. He's on his way to Cornelius' home. He was following the instruction of the Holy Spirit, who both in chapter 10 and in chapter 11 emphasized, no hesitation. Do not hesitate to do what I am telling you to do. What we see in Peter is the difference between a servant who is ready and willing and one who is reluctant and worried. The difference between the two is this. A ready and willing servant is not concerned about the outcome, not concerned about the consequences. The focus is on what God has asked me to do. And I trust that God will take care of whatever is out there. But a reluctant and worried servant is focused on the outcome. How's this going to go for me? How is this going to impact my well-being, my safety, my family, my financial future? Whatever the case may be, the focus is, is out there, but not on what God is asking that servant to do. About uh, two years ago now, I began to sense the call of God in my life to make a move from pastoral ministry here in the local church to full-time missionary work. And I, I wish I could tell you when that call became clear to me that I responded with a ready and willing heart, but that was not the case. At the time, we had uh, two girls in college, and retirement, you know, you can tell from my hair, it's not that far away. And a position in a local church means a, a, a regular paycheck coming in to the bank account. 
Whereas working as a missionary means getting out there and raising your own support. And that's what I was focused on. Like, Lord, I, I've got responsibilities. And I'm trying to cover all of my bases and make sure that I've got college tuition and I've got retirement handled and we're going to be able to pay the bills and we're going to get to eat. Then I'll think about being a missionary. I wish I could tell you that eventually I came around on my own and saw the folly of my ways, but no, it took the rebuke of a brother. He actually called me a name. It had something to do with poultry droppings. He said, Pastor Dan, I'm going to tell you something. You talk a good game. You preach those sermons up there on Sundays talking about walking by faith and trusting God and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes right down to it, when it comes to you, you opt out. I knew that was God speaking to me, telling me, what kind of servant are you going to be for me? Ready and willing or reluctant and worried? And I would ask you the same question. When God calls upon you to do something for Him, whether it's big or even small, what's the orientation of your heart? Is it to immediately begin to think about the consequences and how this might impact reputation or financial status or whatever? Or is your heart so taken with God and so trusting of Him to take care of you, that you say, yes, Lord, yes. I'll trust you for whatever is going to happen out there. Peter was already pursuing God. And when that call came to him, he could respond with eager obedience. But Peter also knew... Some something else was in store for him. And that something else was criticism from his own people. And from that, I think we can draw this lesson. When we do what God wants us to do, many times we can expect criticism, but we don't have to fear it. We can just understand sometimes this is going to be part of the package but that's such a difficulty for us, particularly those of us who live here in America. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that other people around the world aren't concerned with, with approval. You know, Peter himself had said in Acts 5.29, you know, we don't, we don't concern ourselves with the approval of men. We only need God's approval. But here in the U.S., we have a fixation on approval. An entire industry, social media, is built upon the premise of approval, being liked. I would go so far as to say that if the ability to like or follow were taken away today, the empire of social media would collapse tomorrow. It's all about liking me, approving me. Do I look good in your eyes? But you see, you can't serve God 
and worry about the approval of others. The two just don't mix. Jesus himself demonstrated that clearly to us. Jesus was not concerned with the approval of others. He really did not care if others liked him. Now, I'm not suggesting he was a jerk. Far and away, the most loving human being to ever walk upon the face of the earth. But Jesus understood obedience to the Father infinitely outweighs the approval of others. It's a difficult battle. But it's one if we will overcome, if we will walk in obedience and not concern ourselves with what others think, there is no telling what God can do. If you've known me for any length of time, you know that one of my great heroes of the faith is Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was uh, a young lady from Ireland at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, who sensed the call of God upon her life to serve as a missionary. And the criticism came immediately upon her announcement. What? A woman? A single woman? I don't think so. Go get yourself a husband and then maybe we'll talk about it. But we're not going to just let you go off into the wide world by yourself. God doesn't work that way. Well, Amy had different ideas about things. And in spite of all the criticism and all the difficulties, she went. And she eventually found herself in the country of India where she would spend the rest of her life. It didn't take long once she arrived to become aware of one of the most horrible practices humanity has ever come up with, the sale of little girls, seven, eight, nine years old, into temple prostitution. Something that had been going on for centuries. And naturally, she was appalled and immediately knew something's got to be done. And so she began to do something about it. She began to wage a one-woman war against this cultural practice, centuries old. And yes, the criticism came. Not just criticism, but persecution, up to and including death threats on her very life. Well, her emotional... Mental reserves, uh, like all the rest of us, were finite. And one day she came to a place of just, uh, I can't do this anymore. I have given all I have to give. I have fought the good fight. Nothing is changing, Lord. I can't go another day. But when she reached that point, point she wrote in her journal... And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to do my best to get through this. I cannot recall a single time I have read this passage that I could do so without tears. She wrote, At last a day came when the burden grew too heavy for me. And then it was as though the tamarind trees that surrounded my house were no longer tamarind but olive trees. And under one of those trees was our Lord Jesus himself. 
He knelt, and he knelt alone. And I knew this was his burden, not mine. It was he who was asking me to share it with him, not I who was asking him to share it with me. After that, there was only one thing to do. Who that saw him kneeling there could turn away and forget? Who could have done anything but go into the garden and kneel down beside him under the olive trees? Whatever the call of God is upon your life, I can promise you this. Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he isn't already doing himself. He doesn't call upon any of us to be pioneers, to go at something solo. No, it was under some olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus began the work. And anything, anything that we do for Him or in His name since that time is an extension of what He started there. And so if you're concerned about the criticism and you're concerned about what others may say, remember, we live for an audience of one. One who has gone ahead of us and begun the great work, the salvation of humanity. One who would pay the ultimate price by giving his life. We celebrate that sacrifice on a regular basis when we come together and we follow his command. He gathered his disciples on the last night of his life and he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you and broken for all of humanity. I'm beginning my great work with the broken body. And he also took a cup and he held it up before them and said, this represents my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Something that could not be accomplished in any way apart from me. I begin my great work by giving my body and my blood. And wonder of wonders, he invites us to join him in that work. Maybe you're here this morning and for some time the Holy Spirit has been whispering in your ear, maybe tapping on your shoulder and saying, I, I want you to do this. I, I need you to do this. But you've come up with a million reasons and excuses why you just, no, not now. That's too hard. What will people say? Today can be the day that you say yes. Yes to what he's calling you to do, but yes as well to what he will do in the lives of men and women and boys and girls that perhaps you don't even know because you were willing to say yes. In just a moment, the ushers are going to guide us here in the live service down front. In communion service, you can come on your own. As you come forward to receive the Lord's Supper, you'll take a, 
gluten-free cracker and dip it in the cup and then partake. You're welcome to stay and pray if you would like or return to your seat. But I challenge you, let this be a holy moment in your life where your ears are wide open to the call of God and your heart is ready to say yes. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for going ahead of us in every respect and for then inviting us to come join the work you've already started. I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that whatever it is today that you're calling us to do, you would make our hearts soft, open, and receptive that we might respond with eager obedience and step into the great thing, the great thing you're calling us to do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.